Hello, welcome to the Whiskey Bench. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. We're mixing things up a little bit. We're recording on a, a Sunday. Sunday afternoon, which honestly isn't awful. What is today's date? February 19th? 19th. 19th. Mm-hmm. Okay. February 19th here in the studio, getting ready to dive into some more Ukraine. Yeah, we're taking a brief yes. detour from the drug war series to talk about Ukraine. Yes, there's so much pressing stuff and interesting things that we didn't get a chance to talk about mm-hmm. that we kind of need a little recap and a, a deep dive into a few things. So we definitely are shifting gears a little bit. Definitely really exciting. We're really excited about it. Uh, but before we do that this evening, what do we have for book bookkeeping? Any exciting updates? I don't think so. No? I don't know. Just grinding away? Grinding? Okay. <laughs> um, How about it, you? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's some exciting stuff, I suppose. I Right here on the floor of the studio, I'm the proud owner of a paraglider now. I wonder what that big thing was. Look at that sucker. Right on. Look at that big old bastard. Good for you. Uh, so I just need a <laughs> harness now. Sweet. And uh, a... Refresher course. Okay. So I don't die. How does that, so, because you did, you got like your license. Is it considered a license to do this? Yeah. So you don't technically need a license to fly. Okay. It's considered like an experimental aircraft, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Okay. You don't need licenses for that. But there are some benefits to having a, a certified instructor and get the license. One is a lot of launching areas, especially in, Uh, popular areas require a license to launch okay so that's one of the benefits obviously it's good to be instructed just in general yeah i've I've met people that just taught themselves really it seems Uh, it's a very dangerous sport it's not rocket science it's pretty simple i guess so in theory if you're brave enough you could read a book and probably do it honestly but it was just nice having a guy on the radio being like you should now tug on your left brake and he kind of watches your shadow he teaches you how to land but like you could definitely do it without an instructor if you were wild and they're pretty safe this is uh um, really yeah they honestly really dangerous it's it's really not that bad <laughs> um the more advanced wings that have like higher glide ratios they get like narrower and the way that air fills them it they can be a little more unstable they're harder to pilot and they can collapse and things like that. But the A and B rated wings, which is like the beginner to intermediate wings, are really stable. Anytime they collapse, like, you know, air, any if you're in a thermal or there's choppy air, like part of the wing can kind of like fold in on itself. Mm. But they have really quick self-recovery times, so they'll reinflate really quickly. Um, like catastrophic failure is not really very often... Um, hmm. Something that happens, okay. At least with like the beginner ones, because they're just they're just really safe. Um, then you've got a reserve parachute, and so if you're flying, you know, above like 300 feet, maybe it's a little higher. Like you can use a parachute okay. as a reserve. And anyway, I gotta get a, I gotta get a refresher and dive into it. And that's exciting though, because yeah, you've been talking about wanting to get back into that. And oh yeah, for sure. That's great. And I was like, you know what? Why not now? I guess. There you go. So sitting there. Updates. I feel like an old man. Hmm. Slipped on the ice the other day. Oh no. And fell. Oh. 
busted my knee. Oh, no. So my right knee is just like for, I don't know, two days now, just been like throbbing. Oh. I was like, this is what it's like to be old, getting taken out by some ice. Yikes. I'm sorry. No, the worst part is I had a six pack of beer that exploded. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, God. So you weren't working. You were just like, yeah, I like grabbed groceries and I had a had the six pack of beer in my hand hasty to get inside and crack one and slip oh it happened out here it happened up uh oh right yeah, yeah. at the place I'm staying but just funny honestly Aww. beer everywhere they're like it's on a hill the, beer, the broken beer cans are like rolling down the hill and oh god <laughs> nightmare all in good humor other than that bookkeeping wise I don't think there's anything super crazy just uh carrying on we avoided an alien invasion. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Hard to say. <sighs> yeah. I'm sure we'll have some exciting news and brew stuff for next week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think the chaos of last weekend, which was for listeners when there were several unidentified objects in U.S. airspace. Right. Yeah. And Allegedly. Allegedly. And... <laughs> The more I learn about this, the more we'll get to it. Yes, it's going to fold into our conversation tonight. Oh, I have a fold in. Oh, you do? Oh, beautiful. Wonderful. I do. Well, this is good. (laughs) Well, we are going back to our roots tonight in two ways, I suppose. Talking about Russia and Ukraine (laughs) again and uh, sipping on a Negroni. As you all know or should know by now, we love Negronis on the whiskey bench. And uh, I'm a lazy bastard. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what? Let's do Negronis today. You know, I got the stuff. They're classic. It sounded good. I actually have crystal ice in the freezer right now that I had made. So we're good. We got beautiful crystal clear ice cubes. You can't go wrong with a Negroni. I was hoping you were going to make one. I really, I had like a sense. Right. Yeah. Negroni senses were tingling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, it's perfect. I tried the, tried my vermouth, the Antica. It's great vermouth. Mm-hmm. It was still good. It's a few weeks old, so I was a little skeptical. But Right. You've said that. So you're supposed to keep it refrigerated. Yes. Is that right? Refrigerated okay. like a wine, and it is, it is a fortified wine. Oh. So they really go bad like two months tops in the fridge is what you should oh. keep vermouth for. Okay. Otherwise, it gets a little vinegary. Right. And like, I go to people's houses all the time, and they've got, like, a bottle of vermouth in the cabinet that's been open, and I'm like, I know that's been in there, like, three years. Right. <laughs> it's not going to be good. smell it, and it doesn't, yeah. But the antique, it was good. Everything's perfect. I got this beautiful uh, new bottle of Japanese gin. That was a Christmas Yum. gift from, well, you know, dear Eliza. So, we're in it. So, a Negroni, for anyone that doesn't know, super easy cocktail to make, equal parts, gin, vermouth. Ideally sweet vermouth. Although you can split it half and half with sweet and dry if you want a little. I don't like dry vermouth. Yeah. I just didn't have any good dry vermouth. Yeah, I got cheap no. dry vermouth right yeah. now. And uh, Campari. Mm-hmm. Stir it. Serve it with a giant ice cube. Garnish with traditionally an orange peel. I did a lemon peel tonight. And it's actually really good. I kind of like the lemon. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Balances well with the orange from the Campari. Right. But it's amazing. You know, I need to find a good dry vermouth. Yeah, I I was on a kick a while back of ordering my Negronis with dry vermouth yeah. to make it even. It's not a sweet cocktail; it's a bitter cocktail. But yeah, 
I I liked it even less, you know, sweet than it traditionally is, but it's good stuff. Can't go wrong. No, never. Many more to come, as we've said many times. <laughs> yeah, actually, one of my favorite things that we've made is the, um, or you've made, is uh, the frozen Negroni. Oh, gosh, yes. That was delicious. We're going to have to revisit that in the warm months. Oh, wait, cat. Hmm. Did we do a white Negroni yet? No, we haven't. I bought Sue's like three months ago. Well, we should be doing that. What am I doing? I don't we know. We should have done it tonight. Well, oh, well, we still could. We still could. That's right. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a little double. We'll do red and yellow. That'd be fun. <laughs> red, white, and blue Negronis. All right. Well, we might as well dive in this evening. Yeah. I don't know exactly the trajectory we want to take. I know we want to talk about Nord Stream and all of that foolishness that's come to light. Um, I'm not sure if you have any information about foreign aid to Ukraine. I've got a little bit about that. Just some of the spending and who's been sending money. Sounds like you have a more interesting trajectory than I do with spy balloons. And, <laughs> well, that's just a thought. But, yeah. but yes, I'm excited. <laughs> but it has been a hot second since we've done anything on Ukraine. Right. So I do have a recap. Okay, cool. That is going to kind of recap history, talk a little bit about some of the events and trajectory of the war so far, and then maybe we can go from there. This is just a brief overview, but... Yeah, that sounds great. For anyone that doesn't know, we did a whole multi-part series on Ukraine and Russia, the history, several News and Brews episodes. There's a lot of content out there. I think it's one of our best yes. little series that we've I done. I agree. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. So anyone that hasn't or needs a refresher, go back. I think it's worth the time. But what I have is... Well, actually, and our timing is kind of impeccable. It's February 19th and the one-year anniversary of... The start of the uh, Ukraine-Russian uh, war is February 24th. So by the time this is edited and out, it'll probably be the anniversary. So this is pretty timely, I suppose. But we dove a bunch into history previously, pre-Soviet Union even, like World War II era and even beyond that, like 19th century forward. But my little timeline starts 1991, and that's when Ukraine... It's the most recent independence that they claimed. Mm -hmm. So 1991, they get their independence from Russia right after the the Soviet era. 1994, the Budapest Memorandum is signed, which Ukraine hands over all of their nuclear weapons to Russia, which is a huge pivotal moment, right? They're no longer a nuclear power. That's 1994. 2004 is... uh, the presidential election between, what is it, Yushchenko? Yeah, Yushchenko. Victor, I was like, I don't have the name. <laughs> the presidential election between Viktor Yushchenko, which was like the Westerns candidate, and then... Uh, Do we for sure have that right? I think so. And then Yanukovych, they're both Viktor, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And then Viktor, which was the... Yanukovych. Yanukovych, but yeah. yes. Okay. Supported okay. by Russia. Okay, sorry. You'll no, you're fine. Right. Two yeah. Viktors with Y names. Yeah. Welcome to... The Baltic. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, anyway, there's this, you know, there's the uh, election between the two. One's the Western candidate, the other's more the Russian. And there's talk about a fraudulent election. Ukrainians take to the streets. The colors are orange. This is the Orange Revolution that we have a whole episode about. And that's a great episode, actually, to listen to. But, yes, the whole Orange Revolution happens 2004. Then 
Fast forward, April of 2008, NATO starts uh, the debates about extending membership to Ukraine for joining NATO, which obviously is a contention for Russia and an encroachment on the original agreement. 2013 and 2014, there's more protests. That's where the whole uh, Maidan Square event happens. We have a deep dive into that. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of civilians are killed. There's all sorts of sketchy stuff going on there. Lots of fun conspiracies to go down the road on. It was a coup. Yeah, it was a coup. Um, and that same year, 2014, Crimea is taken over by Russia. So that's annexed. Then jump forward. Now, it, remember, in between all of this, there's conflict going on uh, on the eastern border between Russia and Ukraine since... 2008, essentially, but 2014 is when an actual conflict happened. So people have been fighting for years, 10 years now, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but then 2019, Zelensky becomes president. By the end of 2021, Putin starts his talks about guaranteeing security as far as encroachments and things like that. Um, as kind of a result, Zelensky crackdown on oligarchs and then a response to that russia posted military on the border oh and then then what i guess february 24th 2022 russia formally invades this is the fast track but there's a piece of information that i've been wanting to include in our little yeah. timeline here oh, um, that i ha- was not aware of in the last episode we did on this many months ago but i think it fits nicely into your timeline Mm -hmm. so i think it's a really critical detail that we've uh, that has just like not been included not just in our conversation about this but just our public like national discourse on the most recent conflict between russia and ukraine um and that is that on november 10th 2021 Secretary of State Antony Blinken signed a strategic partnership with with Ukraine, which not only committed the U.S. to Ukraine's full integration into NATO, but also stressed Ukraine's claim to Crimea. We have this linked in the show notes. Yeah. So everybody in the State Department, intelligence services, military establishment, everybody it's well understood that Ukrainian NATO membership is a red line for Russia, always has been, long before Putin. Historically, mm-hmm. it's an issue. As well as Crimea. Crimea is Russia's, historically, their only warm water port. It's really strategically important to them. There's lots of really good information out there about this, and maybe we'll do a separate episode one day covering that specifically, but like, it is well known and well established that Russia without Crimea is, it was said once by a historian, I'm going to forget who said this, but that Russia without Crimea is, is not an empire. It's just a nation and Mm -hmm. Russia with Crimea is an empire. So historically for Russia, it's incredibly important and Ukraine joining NATO has always been known to be a red line. So yes, for us to sign this strategic partnership with Ukraine was like a giant middle finger to Russia, frankly. 
And um, again, I'm I hope America wins in this war that we're fighting with Ukraine and Russia. But I think we provoked Russia in that regard. In yeah, that, in and, that and, instance, and, at least. And, yeah, and I think, in a, I mean, we've talked about this before in the show. Like, that's honestly the goal. Yeah. Like, the more I study yeah, this, the yeah. more I realize, like, we are, have been provoking Russia for a really long time. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then another thing that I'd forgotten little timeline is in 2014, during the color revolution, the regions of uh, Luhansk, the Donetsk. Donetsk actually broke away from UK. Ukraine. Yeah, after as, the as, Maidan uprising in yes, 2014. Exactly. Yeah. As like not part of Russia, but kind of like a weird independent state. Independent state. Yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of controversy over like how legitimate any of the voting was in that. Right, and, exactly. You know, and, but they are predominantly Russian speaking and historically, like we got talk about in our first episode, when the Soviet Union like depopulated and starved to death Ukraine, they repopulated that eastern portion with ethnic russians so like they are today now you fast forward a century they are ethnic russians there right yes so. and and that whole region has been kind of plagued with conflict and ukrainian government labeled them all as russian-backed terrorists yeah so there's conflict there right that's a really messy area but it wasn't till years later it wasn't until oh i don't know wasn't it in 2022 that Putin then recognized them as yeah, yeah. territories mm-hmm. of Russia or yeah. whatever? So he, he made a public if, statement on it. Yeah, if that was after he invaded or just before. But it was just Just before. around that time frame. Yeah, so maybe I, January 22. Uh, let's see. Putin recognized these territories as independent states and sent troops to keep the peace on February 21st. Which the so day it was before. Just, <laughs> just a couple days before. Wow. Yeah. Finally recognizing these regions as sovereign. And then yeah. February twenty fourth invaded. Zelensky declared martial law and then broke diplomatic ties with Russia. Right. And and to emphasize the point you made earlier, like Russia and Ukraine have been fighting in those regions since like live hot fighting since twenty fourteen. And Putin had not officially recognize the region because i think he you know he liked to claim that they were just it was just the people there fighting the ukrainians for their independence russia was backing the whole thing and stoking it of course right but he waited to acknowledge them as independent states until he was ready to yeah up the ante i will just say it just occurred to me now as i was describing the strategic partnership we signed with ukraine russia then turned around and signed a strategic partnership with china yeah, totally. Like months later. And I have some thoughts on that, too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, that I'm sure we'll get into this episode. But yeah, totally. Anyway, that's my little rundown. The only other thing I have here is all the way through the winter, spring, and fall, Russia kind of slowly pushed Ukraine back up until September. And then, well, Russia claimed about 1,000 square miles by September. Mm. of territory and then in september there was a pivotal change in russia and ukraine actually started making some ground and pushing russia back september putin announced another three hundred thousand soldiers to be mobilized and that was there's a whole bunch of information about that a lot of them were prisoners yeah and all sorts of crazy stuff and there's some interesting information there 
the age range too on both sides. Yes. Because obviously the Ukrainians are desperate and the Russians are conscripting all sorts of people. There's like yes. old men. Old men conscripted. Yeah, 50, yes. 60 year old men fighting. And then uh, end of September, Nord Stream was bombed and destroyed. Ukraine and US blamed Russia. Russia denied it. And then by like the end of the spring, Putin signed papers for annexing four regions, the Luhansk, Donetsk, Kyrgyzstan, and Zap. I can't even Zaporizhia. say Zaporizhia. Yeah, Zaporizhia. I've Zaporizhia. just heard it yeah. said so many times <laughs> yeah. that I know it now, but I uh, couldn't read it either. And then <laughs> West responded, something like a thousand companies, individuals, et cetera, sanctions were put on all sorts of, yeah. of individuals. Yeah. Accounts frozen. Assets seized. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. What would happen to those like yachts and stuff? Yeah, or, yeah. Who knows? Where are they now? In some Ukrainian oligarchs' <laughs> possession. I don't. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, yeah. And and now the you know word on the street, so to speak, is that Russia's planning a a new major offensive, like a pincer movement. Which I'm not a military strategist. I don't know what that means. But other than like choking off from both sides. So it's been anticipated for weeks now and, and we'll see if it comes to fruition. We are running up on a on a bit of a time clock here with frozen ground turning to mud. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the fighting. Um, And it also seems like it's sort of just turning into a war of attrition. And that's probably the best strategy for Russia because I feel like they have the will to outlast Ukraine can't keep fighting if primarily America, but also other NATO members stop supplying it. As soon as they stop supplying Ukraine, Ukraine will quickly fold. Yes. And there's a lot of information about this, right? Yeah. All sorts of countries are giving them tanks. Just recently, Zelensky did his European tour. And honestly, thank God, Biden just flat out, I think his response is literally no. Yeah. Sending fighter jets. Yeah, Jesus. They're like, we want F-15. And they're like, no. Right. Which is probably great. Um, right. I have some thoughts on that. I think there's... <laughs> the, the quick thought on this is that Ukraine is just a convenient fodder for the West. And... I think they foresee issues in the future and they don't want to arm them with the best yeah, of course and not. most advanced technology. We fucking shouldn't. Or. We shouldn't deplete our stocks. No. It's no, not a good sure. idea. <laughs> and on the flip side, it also opens up to Russia being able to get their hands on our on technology. On our top of the line technology. Absolutely. And yeah. so. I'm sure that's part of the calculus. Yes, Definitely. exactly. So. Yeah. Lots of weapons, lots of small arms. Yeah. Missiles, everything like that. Yeah. And there are pretty advanced anti-aircraft weaponry and things like that. Which is what has helped them, like, turn the tide a bit. Yes, absolutely. Now, but from Russia's perspective, they kind of, they just have to outlast, frankly, they have to outlast American, the American public's support of the war. And they probably will. Yeah. Right. And um, it'll be gross and it'll kill a ton of fucking people. Yes. And it'll impoverish Russia in many ways. But 
I think they probably have the will to outlast our domestic interest. In yeah, this. absolutely. And, and, and yeah. on top of that, I mean, they'll probably raise Ukraine to the ground. Like, Yeah, they totally will. I mean, that's now, you know, commentators are starting to acknowledge that and they're starting to say, you know, okay, this is turning to a war of attrition and we don't want to give up. But what is going to be left of Ukraine in another couple of years when this comes to some sort of begrudging end, you know, right. it's going to be pretty and devastating. The unfortunate reality is I can't imagine the U S and NATO wanting to shell money out to them to rebuild. Oh, how is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, also if this coincides with a world war kicked off by China, is there going to be money? Not for Ukraine. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's very, very bleak, yeah, totally. frankly. Now, I do want to go a little bit into the arms and war of attrition okay. side of the war because people don't, I think, it's hard to find information on it. Just frankly, that's the nature of war and, and propaganda and everything like that. But they've been fighting a year now. And from what I can see, and this is this is all through like antiwar.com, which is I think the best source for this kind of stuff. The projections are about a hundred thousand casualties for Ukraine and a hundred thousand casualties for Russia. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So yeah. two hundred thousand dead. And that's combatants. And we know that Awful. there's obviously yeah. civilians Lots involved. Of civilians, yeah. Ukrainian civilians. Yes, exactly, yeah, right. exactly. Ukrainian civilians. Not Russian. No. Uh, in some of the eastern areas, there are some, there definitely are Russians that are, there's some weird stuff happening there, but predominantly leaning right. in yeah. the direction of, of Ukrainians. Yeah, it's happening on Ukrainian territory. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. You know, as far as small arms and everything are concerned, interesting report just came out. Most of the weapons infiltrated and seized in Yemen that were being smuggled into the Middle East are being funneled and shipped to Ukraine. So they're getting a bunch Shocking. of... Shocking! Yeah, I know. So the, basically NATO and the U.S. And let's face it, NATO is the U.S. So the U.S. Right. <laughs> intercepted all of these, you know, weapons. And then there's talk about, like, should the U.S send these to aid Ukraine. I mean, and, what else are you going to do with well, them, Well, but here's the thing. Like, they're they're asking that, but now, retroactively, they were asking it after it had already happened. Yeah, of course. So they've already been shipped that way. Right, right. Millions of rounds of ammunition. God, we should do a dive into Yemen, too. We've just, yeah, like... totally. ...destroyed that place. Oh, oh, absolutely. I don't mean to laugh. No, but it's true. And no one even cares Oof. about that, right? No, that's, no one gives a fuck about still, that. Like, literally, last week, a drone got shot down in Yemen. And just... This year so far, since the beginning of 2023, in Syria and Iraq, like, scores of ISIS have been killed. Yeah. A couple hundred people have been captured. They've shot down multiple drones. There's been tons of bombings. Right. That's a war. It's like a war going on right, <laughs> right. now, right? Yeah. God. So Minor that, incursions. <laughs> we shot down, like, a... a Iran drone the other day. We've killed. We just they special ops just did a, a mission and killed uh, an ISIS leader. I don't know who it was, right. but 
So somebody allegedly important. <laughs> right. So this is going on, and then there's yeah. obviously stuff going on. And yeah, I don't mean and, to say. Let me, hold on. Sorry. Yeah, let yeah. me just clarify. I don't mean to sarcastically say allegedly important. Yeah, right. They probably are a murdering bastard that should get. Actually, no, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Maybe uh, I shouldn't have elaborated. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like ISIS. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll ISIS, leave it at that. Well, I will. <laughs> ISIS is evil. ISIS is evil. That's yeah. stamp of approval from Whiskey Bench. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's an official but anyway, Whiskey Bench. Position. All sorts of stuff going on around the world, right? <laughs> you know, people are sending aid all over the place. There's a lot of people obviously fleeing Ukraine. Germany alone has reported in the last year a million Ukrainians just in just in Germany. And that's more than Afghanistan's Syrians, like pretty much all refugees from the Middle East combined. Just over what time period? Uh like in two thousand it was a year. It was like a year. Okay. But like the year prior. Gotcha. It was like nine hundred and twelve thousand Middle Eastern refugees in, in Germany. Which Germany's not that big, guys. No. And so you have millions of people going to Germany, millions of people going to other countries. Spain's involved in this. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're. So you're going to see that'll be long. that's that's yeah. just a whole other side of the war that we don't really get to see. Right. And we probably won't understand well, until later. And there's a human trafficking element to all of that. That yes. is really sad that a lot of these women, since Zelensky banned men from leaving, mostly it's women and children, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them are being exploited and trafficked. Yeah. I say a lot. I don't have a number. Um, hopefully it's not a significant number, but I mean, any number is tragic. So. Right. And it's, I mean, it's a percentage game. And when you have so many people leaving the country, it's wild. Small percentages are pretty big in terms right. of numbers of people. Yeah. Ukraine's economy in the last year has shrunk 30%. More than 30% of its population is now displaced. Some 40% of its electricity capacity, electricity generating capacity has been damaged. That's pretty crazy. Which was a Russian tactic. Yes, exactly. To pretty infrastructure. early. Totally. Yeah. You know, the U.S. has obviously been sending lots of aid, weapons, money. $100 billion was just announced again. Do we have our total count? I should have figured that out before. It we actually would be interesting, but um, I believe it's, was it Sweden maybe? Just announced they were going to. Send seven point four billion in aid. A hundred billion in U.S. weaponry and financial aid to Ukraine in the last year. It's the initial number I've pulled up. Oh, from a USA Today report. I feel like it has to be more. I thought that I just the one. Too. I thought just one bill already was a hundred billion. It's interesting how you get. Um, we the last time we did an episode on this, we had very specific numbers. I'll see if I can pull those up, but that would be you know six months old at this point. Right. Anyway, go on. Sorry. Uh, anyway, countries all over the place are sending aid. They just got a contract for 300,000 uh, tracer rounds and incendiary rounds for the 138 tanks that Germany sent. So that's quite a bit of ammunition. Another report just announced that Russia or Ukraine is essentially 100% reliant on coordinates provided to them from the u.s surveillance so all of their ground warfare all of their everything 
is being fed to them by the U.S. as far as their ability to engage. And this is one of those things. They have a lot of good intelligence behind their back because of the U.S. Yeah, we're which is also another issue yeah. that <laughs> I'm going to be bold here. When that goes away, could be a big issue. Oh, they will fall apart as soon as it goes away. And this is the exact same thing that happened in Afghanistan, where we trained yeah. Afghanis, but they relied on our air defense and our intelligence. intelligence. Right. And the second that they couldn't get that and they couldn't rely on it, they fell apart. Right. And, yeah, and and... American domestic politics drives our foreign policy and we're heading into an election season. And you better bet that the Ukraine issue and our involvement and the massive amounts of money that we're sending, which the last time we did an episode on this, which was many months ago, the total count was $55 billion. So I think $100 billion is probably an accurate number. Okay. And then now $100 billion. An additional $100 billion? Yeah. Biden. Doubling it. Yeah, did you see his press release on it? It's a hundred no, billion not. dollar bill for Ukraine. I did not. That's wild. Well, so but main- half of it is for weapons and support, and the other half is for basically like humanitarian aid. Um, for oligarchs. <laughs> he didn't specifically say humanitarian. He said for pensions. For pensions and. Oh, to keep the government running. Well, uh, we are subsidizing the government apparatus right. fully at this point. Right. Yeah. And then I think perhaps like a stimulus check for Ukrainians. I wonder how much of that gets um, these people end up making donations to certain campaigns yeah, later. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this will be an issue in the 2024 presidential election and both parties are going to have to figure out how to play it because I don't think there's that big of an appetite amongst the American public. I think it's really easy in the beginning to rile everyone up and give them vague messages about freedom and Russia's evil and he's some Russia's associated with Trump somehow and we hate Trump right, and Russia's totally. bad. But as this drags on and people are aware of how much money we're spending and we have our own domestic issues and we're concerned about war with China, the appetite for this is going to wane. And so, you know, get ready for Ukraine to pull out all the stops to keep mm-hmm. us engaged and for certain politicians and, you know, bureaucrats in the State Department and CIA to pull out all the stops to keep us in it. Um, there will be some interesting tactics employed. Because to your point, as soon as that that aid dries up, they, you know, Ukraine will fold. It will. Yes, exactly. And Russia, like I said before, Russia knows that and is probably playing the long game. It's a war of attrition. They can wait us out. Totally. And this is in an article that I will link. It was, uh, I don't remember what site actually published it, but I I got it through anti-war. And it's the title of the uh, article is One Year of War. But there was a great line in there, which I thought, you know, something to consider. Generous external support for local forces in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan kept those wars going but didn't leave those countries in better shape when the United States finally decided that victory was not possible and went home. It's true that the U.S. and NATO forces are not fighting in Ukraine, but we have a lot of skin in the game. Peace or a ceasefire may still be a long way off, but thinking about how to shut it down is in everyone's interest, and especially Ukraine's. 
Yeah, so the whole the whole narrative is starting to slowly shift. Mm-hmm. And all of the people who in the beginning of this were total hawks and were pushing for a war and downplaying the risk of nuclear conflict are now starting to talk about how we really need to come up with a settlement and like Ukraine's going to have to compromise and Crimea needs to be off the table and so it's interesting. Right, and and there's this weird pinch point now that it's kind of gone so far. Yeah. That I can't blame Ukraine for not wanting to. Of course. We fucking led them there. And, and now we're going to tell them to suck it right, up and, and compromise. And the truth is Zelensky is he's put he's he's putting his heels in like he's holding He has his, to. He has to, yeah. But which to elaborate for anyone who hasn't listened to our other episodes, we've explained this in some of those past episodes that he is in a very tough spot because there is a nationalist movement in Ukraine that is influential and powerful and has been integrated into the military and wants this fight. And they're the ones driving the push to take back not just the territory they've lost since the invasion in 2022, but to take all the territory they lost in 2014, mm-hmm. which is like that's asking for the war to never fucking end. Right. And that's talking about taking Crimea back, which is, again, red line for Russia, like. That's an untenable stance, and but if Zelensky defies that nationalist right wing of the Ukrainian politics, they will probably get rid of him. Yeah. And it might not be a peaceful thing, right? Totally. So, yeah, he's kind of fighting for his life just individually, and I think that's influencing the direction of the war. Yeah, absolutely. And now we're at a point where I am pretty what you would call chronically online when it comes to this stuff. And so I definitely dive into it and try to, as much as I can stomach, check in on kind of the atrocities going on. And it's not something that people ever report on. It's all Conflict Observer and Atlas and all of the independent conflict reporters that are willing to do this and a lot of where you can find the videos and stuff. They're hard to get a hold of because of, of rightfully so, censoring them um, in some sense or another. Because they're so violent. Yeah, right. Yeah. But you do have things like Russian soldiers tying up Ukrainians to poles and beating them to death. And then you have the Ukrainians tying up Russians on the East and beating them. And a video just came out of one of the like Russian leaders basically executing someone with a sledgehammer. Jesus. And then there's videos of the Ukrainians like castrating Russian soldiers. And I mean, just the most, both sides are just, doing the most obscene, horrible things to each other. And it's just going to continue to make this seemingly unresolvable. Totally. That's why we shouldn't have gotten is, involved. And this is what war does. Right. And Well, and it's a blood feud. It's and a like, blood feud. These are, like, I've said this before. I don't want to cut off your train of thought. I'll just quickly say, like, this is the Great Patriotic War, which is how Russia refers to World War II, hasn't ended for Ukraine and Russia 
in the way it's ended for America, right? Like right. that history is very much in their present. And those types of acts that are atrocious and just depraved, I feel like those are in many ways like a reaction to or a continuation of the horrible shit that took place in the 20th century. Like that isn't that chapter isn't over for them. This is a continuation of that chapter. Right. And this is mild from what well, Bol- yeah. Bolsheviks did, right? To- no, totally. And, yeah. And again, Sadly, this is it in is. our history yeah. anything like that. Right. But like it's yeah. it's happening. And then there's the other side of it that like this is essentially not essentially, it is trench warfare. Yeah, it is. Yeah. With with the the horrible modern take on it. Right. And as if it could get worse right. than it was in World War One. And but, it has. but this is where you see things yeah. now. You see the videos of you know, I've seen a couple videos now of Russians entrenched and they're using cheap drones that are dropping explosives. And so there's footage of these drones just above trenches with little 3D printed devices that just drop grenades essentially from the sky. Mm. And you can just fly over, you got a camera, you can see exactly where the people are. And you know, it's it's a it's you know, you see pictures of the aftermath from wars prior. And you see horrible pictures from, you know, the Gulf War and and all sorts of stuff. But this is a little different because, I mean, a lot of these people fighting are are just like kids, right? Yeah. That are picking up a gun and and fighting and they've got GoPros and there's drone footage. And you're watching these conflicts with basically like body cam footage that like a police would have. And you're seeing, you know, videos of a Russian sneaking up in a trench and shooting like seven people. Like I just watched that last week. Yeah. And, um, you know, watch the video of grenades being dropped into trenches. You know, in one video, there's a Russian soldier who's injured. I think it was Russian. It might have been. It doesn't matter. Some young guy in a trench. He's injured. Poor soul. And it's, it's more like a ditch, not really a trench. So he's on his back and he's crawling. And they keep dropping grenades and you watch it. They drop a grenade. He grabs it and he throws it out of the trench. It explodes. And it's like a 10 minute video and you watch like seven grenades get dropped on the guy. And then the video ends. Sooner or later, they got him, right? Probably. Um, or a video of a grenade getting dropped in a trench. Two guys are either killed or horribly injured. And then on the video, you see a, a Russian soldier pull his own grenade on himself because he clearly is injured. And instead of sitting there getting bombarded, he just pulls a grenade and blows himself up. Um, oh, God. And this is the stuff that is just there and it's available and you get to see it firsthand. Or you see where the lack in training really shines through for both Russia and Ukraine, where you have like small units of Ukrainians attacking, you know, a convoy of tanks and just being obliterated. And you're like, I don't know why they would do that. Or vice versa. You see the Russians engaging on something that they shouldn't engage in. And it's just like, it's just a bloodbath. Yeah. Cause like, really it's just direct conflict. I don't think they have a lot of strategic training. They're not, no, ma- they're throwing bodies into the grinder is right. what's happening. Totally. And we're funding it. Right. And we're giving them weapons that they don't necessarily know how to use and equipment right. that they're not equipped to do. It's uh, it's grotesque. 
Very. Say that, say the least. And, you know, Ukraine's been accusing Russia of using chemical weapons. Even BBC, you know, confirmed that there doesn't seem to be any basis for that. They did drop some, like, tear gas bombs and stuff like that, but the police will use tear gas on you. I don't think that's... <laughs> yeah. Tear gas, whatever. Um right. But vinyl chloride. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then on the flip side, I mean, I, I, I sent you a video the other day that I found very disturbing. Uh, reports of, and there are videos, I've watched the videos of Ukrainians building improvised chemical bombs oh, fuck, yeah. for drones. So, yeah. again, this isn't, this isn't confirmed, but like, if Ukraine is, improvised chemical weapons are not hard to make. And if they're doing that with cheap drones and they're actually dropping chemical weapons on you on russians that's real bad and to what degree are we complicit right yeah that's why i say this is a it's going it's a war of attrition yep it's a blood feud it's never gonna fucking end um even if this conflict now stops the the feud won't it will go on it's going right. to go on forever. These two regions have a history yes. that is not going to be settled. Yes. And for us to insert ourselves and to fund the violence is a huge mistake, in uh, my opinion. Absolutely. And just for everyone listening, as far as like being complicit, especially in like chemical warfare and stuff like that, the U.S. has done it before. Um, for anyone that might not know, when Saddam Hussein used chemical warfare on his people, the U.S. was the one that gave him those chemical weapons. Elaborate. That, I mean, it's just, that's, there was, the, yeah. was weapons from the U.S., chemical weapons that were funneled to him. Well, that is interesting because we, that's a whole other thing we're going to get into at yes. some point. But like, yeah, for a long time, like we, we have a history of propping up certain dictators and then eventually having to fight them. Yeah. We yeah. covertly like fund it. Right. And then eventually we're like, ooh, we got to free these people and go to war. Right. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Good thing we empowered the guy first. Yeah. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's fucking crazy. But anyway, it's, it's <laughs> awful. And we have massive backing behind Ukraine and so does NATO. And I don't know where else you want to go with this tonight, but. I kind of want to talk about the pipeline and Seymour Hirsch, but let's yeah, that's yeah. great. Okay. But real quick, because Russia now is you know working with China, I mean they've always been at least some sort of ally, right? To some capacity. The same degree that we were. You know. Right, yeah, exactly. Trying um, to figure it out how to like financially blackmail everybody. Right. Yeah. And Russia also now with uh Iran and and we've we reported on this way back, like even Russia potentially having a presence again in Afghanistan now that the U.S. is withdrawn. Yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion, and it's my horrible nightmare, that Russia calls in a favor from China at some point. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I have been thinking this for quite some time, that... In the bigger picture of future conflict, we all know a fucking world war is going to happen with between us and China leading the fight. Why wouldn't we court Russia to be on our side? 
why have we pushed Russia to China? It seems like a strategic mistake. And the moralizing of Putin being bad. Yeah, Putin's ex-KGB. He's a piece of shit. Yada, yada, yada. We make deals with the fucking Saudis who murder, you know, and persecute gay people. We are trying to cut a deal with the Iranians Mm -hmm. to release billions of dollars of funding to them. And they are literally murdering women in the streets. We don't give a fuck you about morality. You can't take the moral high ground, right? No, no, no. That is not. That is what is that's a talking point used against for on the American people when we're trying to convince them of something strategically. The U.S. doesn't give a fuck about that. That it, and they maybe shouldn't, right? Because if we were making all of our, you know, you know, all of our international decisions were based on morality, we would. We wouldn't get anywhere. We wouldn't do anything. We'd well, probably be, you know, and, isolationist. So and that's a not li- a factor. No, not at all. And frankly, on a, on a scale of of compatibility and you know moral equivalence. Uh, uh, no, what am I trying to say here? On a on a a scale of like morality, like Russia is not the low on that list of people that we engage with. No, Which is what you're saying, right? Like, China is committing yeah. a fucking genocide right. and their human rights. Okay, I actually heard uh, someone I really respect. Um, oh, God. He's a really well-known general. What is his name? I'll look it up and it'll come to me. Anyway, he he made a comment on the John Batcher show this morning. They Every Saturday, they do like a couple um like long segments about uh ukraine and russia and the conflict from different perspectives like america china russia brussels Mm -hmm. nato and ukraine and they he made the point uh hr mcmaster is the general he made the point that that russia at least has a constitution technically right putin cheats yeah right and that's well known yeah, we China, cheat. We cheat on our constitution. No, <laughs> China doesn't have that. Oh no, not at all. China is just a communist dictatorship, right? Yeah. And we have bent over backwards to accommodate China because we want to make money. Because there's a ton of cheap laborers who can make shitty cheap products that we can sell, and lots and lots of consumers that'll buy shit from us. Oh, totally. So we're willing to overlook massive human rights atrocities in that country. Well, and and we fingered Russia as some sort of, you know, evil empire. Right. It's kind of a fucking joke. Right. Okay, Russia on its own isn't a threat to us. I don't know why we wouldn't have strategically courted Russia after the Cold War and tried to bring it into the fold to keep a fucking th- neck on the boot, sort of so to speak, right? Like keep keep an eye on it. Right. And instead, in the most recent years, we've pushed them to China, which is our biggest strategic enemy that we know we're going to go to war with. And that now people in the military are saying as soon as 2024, that's next year. That's a year from now. If that happens, fucking A. Right. And we're kind of at a position where it's like either Russia needs to be completely destroyed or at this point, like Ukraine, just all of Ukraine is going to be Russia's. Right. Well, yeah, totally. We have pushed this conflict to a, and, a point like and that. And more yeah. and more as I've, 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 I've thought about it, like, I am not convinced with the argument that if Russia was given control of, like, Crimea and the four regions that they wanted, that they would have just kept going. 
I am not convinced of that argument. Well, and I'm not convinced even beyond that, like if if they got Ukraine, that they would try to move on Sweden and France. And, you know, like, yeah, I don't know about that. Any of that. I think that's fear mongering. Yeah, I agree. To make an excuse for the war. All right. This sort of transitions into the pipeline. Yes. I would like another cocktail. though. Yeah, totally. Let's do it. All right, friends. For you, it's been one second. For us, it's been about five minutes. Tonight is a double feature. As I mentioned earlier, I had the ingredients for a white Negroni, which anyone that's a longtime listener will know. This is how Kat and I met. That's right. So, Ooh, it's so good. It's so good. Wow. So we're bringing it back. It's different. It's so different. It's very different. Uh, with a white Negroni. Wow, and the color. Oh, yeah, it's just beautiful, like, yellow. Yeah, I don't even know, but it's amazing. So, it's the same as a Negroni, equal parts, but instead of Campari, you use Suze or Suze, which is basically a bitter lemon liqueur instead Mm. of bitter orange, and I used dry vermouth. Instead of sweet vermouth. Oh, that's one of the big differences. Mm-hmm. I like the dry vermouth. Yeah, me too. It's like not, I don't like sweet things. No, so. no. And the dry vermouth, I mean, it was a fresh bottle, but it's cheap dry vermouth, so yeah. Right. Yeah, I just love, I love the bitter liqueurs. Oh. They're so good. So good. All right. I'm refueled. Yeah. I had three pieces of quiche and two pieces of bread. Wow. Around 9 a.m. Okay. And that's all I've had today. Well, right on. <laughs> so now I'm on my second it's, Negroni. I've, I've <laughs> what did I eat today? I had a burrito mm. and a bunch of coffee. Okay. But oof. So I, we're running low on fuel. Yeah, yeah. I love La Quisha. I make some good, I make a pretty good quiche. I'm not going to lie. I've been into like a scrappy quiche. What is scrappy quiche? Just like scraps you put in a oh, quiche. Oh, this is brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so this this brought back a, a, a good memory, and then we'll we'll dive into <laughs> the horrendous continuation yeah, we'll of the, this the Russian-Ukrainian story. war. But I remember a couple of years ago, I taught my dad how to make quiche, um, and he got obsessed with it. Oh, and, yeah. And he would like make quiches like every week, and he would bring... This is like a, a while ago. He'd like bring quiche to work and like give, <laughs> give it to his like dental assistants. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, that was nice. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's like a peasant food, right? Like you can put anything in it and it's um, wonderful. Cat, no longer. But is it a peasant food? It's. Those suckers got a lot of eggs in them. Well, that's true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you bourgeois. That's true. Eggs are bourgeois <laughs> in 2023. Yeah. But it could be, it's like a relatively simple thing, but it's, but it's, um, the way you present it, it's quite an elevated breakfast. Mine today. I'm just going to share because I want to. Yeah. Why not? Um. My sister turned me on to this. She will very thinly slice sweet potato and sort of make like, we do crustless quiches. Okay. So they're like gluten-free. I just do that because I don't want to deal with the crust. But uh, so we basically make like a, a bottom crust to the quiche with very thin slices of sweet potato. You don't have to do any. They can go in raw and they're, really? they're so thin they bake okay. and are cooked through. And then I do, today I did a mixture of sauteed leek mushroom cremini mushroom garlic uh a little bit of bl- blanche broccoli and ham 
that I like minced up. Oh, it sounds incredible. It was cat. really good. <laughs> and then and then like the egg mixture, which I add like paprika and nutmeg to, um, Gruyere cheese cream and top it with more Gruyere cheese. Bake it for like 40 minutes. Oh, it so sounds good. so good. It was delicious. Damn. It was great. All right. Yeah. So I'm running on quiche and Negronis. <laughs> you know, we should do a dinner soon. I haven't I haven't cooked a meal for friends in too long. When your roommates are both back, yes. you guys have to have. And I'd like to invite myself. Yeah, well, yes, you are invited. <laughs> I'll, I will invite you. I'll cook up something big and fancy. Yeah, the breakfast you made. You made those like breakfast tostadas one time. Oh, yeah. Those were friggin' delicious. And then, yeah, we did empanadas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's We're getting right. derailed here, but I'm hungry. We so. are. I know. Sorry. All right, uh, let's get back right, to our right. horrible conflict. Yes. Okay, so what I wanted to dive in tonight was, is the um, scoop obvious story by Seymour Hirsch, who is a acclaimed journalist, or at least he was until he dropped this story. Now everyone hates him, but right, which I'm good for him. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. He's no, an no, old no. man that Are you has a career. Give some background on him. A little bit of background. Okay, good, because yeah. like his credentials are there. Yeah, he's legit. Yes, totally. So, and I say obvious because it was like anyone with half a brain, and frankly, I think that the people who are actually in the establishment making the decisions are well aware of this, and um, but are not allowed to say it publicly. So. Seymour Hirsch is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, investigative journalist. He played a central role in exposing some of the most um, controversial things that the U.S. government has done, including domestic spying, Mm -hmm. the Melee Massacre. That's what initially put him on the map. Right, which is huge. Yeah, he changed the tide of the Vietnam War and eventually... I mean, that built momentum for an anti-war movement that forced, again, the American popular opinion drives our foreign policy. So, like, the opposition to the war eventually led to us leaving Vietnam and the Abu Ghraib uh, torture scandal in Iraq. Um, So he's been around for a long time. He is well-respected. Um, Outside of the Pulitzer Prize, he's won lots of other prizes, one called, like, the George Orwell nice yeah (laughs) Um, he is not a trumpy conservative as hopefully most people would have deduced but he's i think always was sort of a liberal activist type anti-war yep and uh was beloved by the left up until about a week and a half ago so isn't that how it goes (laughs) yeah yeah um so he uh through his sub stack which is where all the important things are actually taking place. He released a expose of sort of the Nord Stream sabotage, and he has alleged and accused the U.S. government, in particular the CIA, of orchestrating that sabotage. So remember, in Sunday school, the answer is always <laughs> Jesus, and on the whiskey bench. The answer is always the CIA. The CIA, motherfucking A. Yeah. Never fails. <laughs> yes. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Sadly. Okay. So we, of course, have the story linked in our show notes. I think he has made it one of his free articles on his Substack. And I think if you've never visited his Substack before, it'll probably pop up without asking you to share your email address. 
if you need to subscribe, quote unquote, and share your email address, uh, you can still access the article for free. So it'll be linked in the show notes. So I kind of, I guess there's an order to my notes here. I encourage everyone to read his full story. It's long. It has a lot of detail. He has an anonymous source, which we should all be wary of anonymous sources. The whole Russiagate thing was propagated by anonymous sources. He has a lot of credibility behind him. And also his story just validates common sense. So that's hard to argue against. But I'm going to read. I have some specific notes on pieces of his story. Um, So I'll just we'll move our way through it. So sort of some of the first bits of, I guess you could say, evidence that he outlines is some statements by Biden administration officials that sort of hint at wanting to destroy the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Yeah, public statements, press releases. Yeah. I've seen the videos. <laughs> Which, and I think just, okay, so just to add context, when Trump was in office, he openly talked about how it was fucking crazy for... Germany and the rest of Europe to be so dependent on Russia for its energy source. And I think he was right about that. And I think the U.S. is right to not want Russia to have a monopoly on that. Uh, he So Trump put in place sanctions to prevent Nord Stream 2 from coming online. Nord Stream 1 had been online mm-hmm. for some time and um, had to been delivering cheap natural gas to Germany and then the rest of Europe. And Germany sort of had a deal where basically the excess gas distributed through Germany, they could resell to the rest of Europe. So they had like a vested interest Mm -hmm. in this project. Um, Nord Stream 2 would be a similar sort of deal for them. So they wanted to see it come through. Trump put sanctions in place, prevented it from coming online. Biden comes into office. And I think most folks who are tuned in will remember that in the early days of the Biden administration, it almost was like they were just doing anything. They were doing the opposite of anything Trump had done. Okay, real quick note. He literally did that with insulin. Trump had a <laughs> Trump had a $35 like cap on insulin. The second Biden became president, he vetoed it. And then was like, no, we're not gonna have a cap on insulin. Right. And then three years <laughs> later, he's like, it's an injustice that <laughs> Insulin is so expensive. So that's why I'm passing this bill to put a $35 cap. And you're just like, dude, that. <sighs> and they're both wrong. But yes, that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> right. But uh, so, so yeah. So Biden just like does the, you know, his progressive people <laughs> who are running him. I don't know who's really in charge, but whoever it is decided to do the opposite of Trump, lifted the sanctions on Nord Stream 2. It starts to go through. It's almost complete ready to go online. And then basically the deep state's like, yo, Biden, what the fuck? We don't want this to happen. Right. So then we start. So then now we're in this awkward position of like lifting sanctions, but now we are trying to prevent it from actually happening, even though we gave it the green light to happen. So here are some quotes of folks in the administration saying that they don't want the pipeline to come online. So on February 7th of 2022, just ahead of the invasion, Biden declared in a public statement, quote, if Russia invades, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We will bring it to an end. Then, Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Newland. Hey, Victoria. Which, if you've listened to our series, <laughs> little old Victoria has been involved in Ukraine for a long time. And in the, for some context, in the 2014 Maidan uprising slash U.S. backed coup, 
She was one of the architects of the whole operation and was caught. She was recorded in a phone conversation that's you can access it and listen to it, where she said that she was talking with her counterpart about who to put in power after they ousted the Russian, the pro-Russian government in Ukraine. Yes, I, I want that. listeners who might not be as, you know, red-pilled as us. <laughs> <laughs> they are making a list of of who they think should be in power. Way before. Before the end quote elections happened. Right. Way before. In in where those people on that list got into power during that election. And then they did. Yeah, exactly. And then little Hunty got a seat on the board of Burisma. But that's a whole other story. So Victoria Newland. Just let that (laughs) sink in. Okay. Yeah. So Victoria Newland's been around with Ukraine for a long time, you know. They're just dirty little rat people. She's been meddling for some time now. Yeah. And anyway, she's a public servant. Um, (laughs) So she she basically delivered the same message as Biden at a State Department briefing saying, quote, I want to be very clear to you today. If Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. End quote. Then again, after the bombing and sabotage of the pipelines, she was responding to a question from Senator Ted Cruz during a congressional testimony in January. Uh, just in January, just this year. What day is it? We're so in 19th, February. February right. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> a month and a half ago or something. Right. Yeah. She said, quote, I think the administration is very gratified to know that Nord Stream 2 is now, as you like to say, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. Lovely. <laughs> um, and then this one's wild. After the bombing, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said, quote, it's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy and thus to take away from Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy as a means of advancing his imperial designs. That's very significant and that offers tremendous strategic opportunity for the years to come. So you stoked. Who's stoked about it. Right. <laughs> Almost as if he knew it was going to happen and it all happened. Okay, so... Hirsch, Seymour Hirsch, the journalist we've been talking about, he goes into sort of describing the motive, which we have explained in past episodes, and and then he goes into describing what he learned from his source about the operation. So I'm going to sort of read a little bit extensively from it, from the piece. So he, he in explaining what would happen if, if the Nord Stream pipeline came online, Hirsch wrote, quote, Putin would would now have an additional and much-needed major source of income, and Germany and the rest of Western Europe would become addicted to low-cost natural gas supplied by Russia while diminishing European reliance on America. That's part of the motive. Mm -hmm. As we've noted in our previous episodes on this topic, the Ukrainians had their own motives as well. If If the pipelines remained operational, the Russians could use energy as strategic leverage. All they had to do was wait until the winter months became unbearable for NATO member countries and then offer to relieve their suffering by turning the energy taps back on in exchange for ceasing supply to Ukraine. Again, we talked about this in a past episode. Russia has no motive to destroy their own infrastructure. Ukraine had a motive to see it ended 
didn't have the means to. We've, and we talked about this. Yeah, and Ukraine didn't have the means to destroy it. So who had the means? Honestly, it's us or it's England, and it's probably us in coordination. Right. We we have an incredible navy, and yeah, the things that they can do and the things that special operators can do, like almost transcends understanding. <laughs> just honestly, like the things that our military can do like i i think the military is kind of turning into a joke but like special operations is like the exception and even that's kind of being compromised right now but like the the things that we are capable of is terrifying yeah well yeah we'll get into it but like also operating out of like all the safeguards we have in place so well and are you going to dive into his article about like timeline of when he thinks that this operation began yes okay yes yeah i'm getting yeah i'm getting there okay so so hirsch hirsch the journalist claims that planning for this operation began december of 2021 so before russia invaded ukraine yep two months before hirsch claims that quote last june the navy divers operating under the cover of a widely publicized midsummer nato exercise knows that known as Baltops 22 planted the remotely triggered explosives that, three months later, destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines, according to a source with direct knowledge of operational planning. That's the basic idea. Hirsch also explained the importance of the divers being Navy only and not members of America's Special Operations Command. This distinction is important because Special Operations Command's covert operations must be reported to Congress and briefed in advance to the Senate and House leadership, which is known as the Gang of Eight. So avoiding that procedure ensured that the whole operation could be kept under wraps and didn't have to go through, like, normal Right, which ties into the CIA literally does whatever they want. Right. Whenever they They want. They really do. It's scary. And so, and then, more on that, but um, a few Biden administration officials, of course, when this story came out, have denied it. Most most everyone has just ignored this story. But Adrian Watson, who's some like random White House spokesperson, said that this is, quote, false and complete fiction. And then Tammy Thorpe, who's also she's a random spokesperson for the CIA, said that, quote, this claim is completely and utterly false. So they sent out some like junior gals to sure dispel the whole thing. I wanted to share a little bit of background on the pipelines, again, I'm going to read directly from Hirsch's piece, um, but I think it'll provide some like useful context around the importance of these pipelines and, and then sort of help explain the motive. Um, okay, so quote, from its earliest days, Nord Stream 1 was seen by Washington and its anti-Russian NATO partners as a threat to Western dominance. The holding company behind it, Nord Stream AG, was incorporated in Switzerland in 2005 in partnership with Gazprom, a publicly traded Russian company producing enormous profits for shareholders, which is dominated by oligarchs known to be in the thrall of Putin. Gazprom controlled 51% of the company, with four European energy firms, one in France, one in the Netherlands, and two in Germany, sharing the remaining 49% of stock and having the right to control downstream sales of the inexpensive natural gas to local distributors in Germany and Western Europe. Gazprom's profits were shared with the Russian government, and state gas and oil revenues were estimated in some years to amount to as much as 45% of Russia's annual budget. That's very significant. Okay, I'll continue on. Quote, two of the pipelines which were known collectively as Nord Stream 1 
had been providing Germany and much of Western Europe with cheap Russian natural gas for more than a decade. A second pair of pipelines, called Nord Stream 2, have been built but were not operational. Now, the Russian troops massing on the Ukrainian border and the bloody in the bloodiest war in Europe since 1945 looming, President Joseph Biden saw the pipeline as a vehicle for Vladimir Putin to weaponize natural gas for his political and territorial ambitions. Nord Stream 1 was dangerous enough in the view of NATO and Washington, but Nord Stream 2, whose construction was completed in September of 2021, would, if approved by German regulators, double the amount of cheap gas that would be available to Germany and Western Europe. The second pipeline also would provide enough gas for more than 50% of Germany's annual consumption. Which, remember, Germany, being such a wonderful green country, <laughs> seriously needs that. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, yeah, Germany is a perfect example of a European country embracing the quote-unquote climate agenda and embracing energy sources and technologies that are completely inefficient and not capable of meeting modern demand for energy. And they backfilled all of their shortfalls from wind and solar with cheap Russian natural gas. And now they're burning coal. Right. And just just remember this. When the U.S. does it, (laughs) they are lying to you. They are gaslighting you. Mm -hmm. They are going to tell you that, hey, this is the right thing to do. And if you don't do it, you're a bad person. And in fact, we will actually use force against you if you don't. <laughs> and that's, that's their face. But behind the curtain, they will burn coal. They will use fossil fuels as much as they need. Well, yeah, because they know they need to have a stable grid and they need reliable right. energy. And yes. solar and wind don't provide that. They so, do not. Yeah. So... America didn't want them becoming even more dependent on Russian gas. And I think it's important to note that Russia had transported a significant portion of its natural gas exports to Europe through Ukraine historically. Um, At one point, that reached nearly 40% of European exports. So, like, significant portion was going through Ukraine historically. And Ukraine made money on that through uh, transit fees. Right. When Nord Stream 1... Right, because you have pipelines literally going through the country. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. And so when Nord Stream 1 came online, some of that traffic was diverted because the Nord Stream pipelines go through like the Baltic Sea. So they're like way north. So some of the revenue, potential revenue for Ukraine was diverted with Nord Stream 1. With Nord Stream 2, the fear was, and if you look back at old stories from like five years ago, you can, it's widely understood. The concern was that Russia would bypass Ukraine altogether. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and Ukraine would no longer be making money transiting any of this natural gas. So they had a huge vested interest in preventing this from happening. So part of the story from Seymour Hirsch is that basically he alleges that we partnered with Norway to accomplish this mission. And again, forgive me, I'm going to read at length from his piece about Norway, sort of explaining why we partnered with them. So I'll go ahead and, and read here. Um, I think it's all valuable. I don't think it's No, it is. Anyway, so, quote, a newly refurbished American submarine base had been under construction for years, had become operational, and more American submarines were now able to work closely with their Norwegian colleagues to monitor and spy on a major Russian nuclear redo 250 miles to the east on the Kola Peninsula. 
America also has vastly expanded a Norwegian air base in the north and delivered to the Norwegian Air Force a fleet of Boeing-built P-8 Poseidon patrol planes to bolster its long-range spying on all things Russia. In return, the Norwegian government angered liberals and some moderates in its parliament last November by passing the Supplementary Defense Cooperation Agreement, or SDCA. Under the New Deal, the U.S legal system would have jurisdiction in certain, quote, agreed areas in the north over American soldiers accused of crimes off base, as well as all over those Norwegian citizens accused of suspected or of interfering with the work at the base. So I'm not quoting any longer, but basically they passed a law to give American soldiers free reign to operate in Norwegian territory. Yeah. Which is interesting. And then to go on, quote, Norway was one of the original signatories of the NATO treaty in 1949 in the early days of the Cold War. Today, the secretary general of NATO is Jen Stoltenberg, a committed anti-communist who served as Norway's prime minister for eight years before moving to his high NATO post with American backing in 2014, that pivotal year. Mm Mm-hmm. He was a hardliner on all <laughs> things. So much happened in 2014. A lot happened. Well, we like sh- shook things up in 2014. <laughs> he was a hardliner on all things Putin and Russia, who had cooperated with the American intelligence community since the Vietnam War. He had been a, he had been trusted completely since. The anonymous source says, "quote He is the glove that fits the American hand." It's also worth noting that Norway probably had its own financial interests with the destruction of the pipelines because they also export natural gas to Europe. Do you remember in October 2022 when we did our uh, we did an episode about Ukraine I had mentioned this it was a news and brews episode. Yes. The Baltic pipeline opened Mm -hmm. the day after Nord Stream was destroyed which brings natural gas from Norway into Europe. Oh, from Norway. Yes. Oh, shit. Oh, Torn, I do remember you saying that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, it was a Norwegian project. Well, we had to sweeten it's, the pot a little bit. It, and it, it's, it's a pretty substantial pipeline. And it, and it goes through Denmark into Poland and then from Poland into, into Europe. So the second you said that, like, Hirsch was like, oh, yeah, we probably worked with Norwegians. I was like. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I said that. I was like, that's... A, you that's, did. That's you really did. convenient, isn't it? Yeah, you did. Oh, my gosh. You for sure did. Wow. Okay. That's so, really funny, actually. So uh. that's sort of there. <laughs> so Norway was in the operation. Um, and also for, like, strategic, like, military reasons. Like, they obviously have access to the Baltic Sea. And, and then for all of those reasons outlined of, like, our weird agreements that give us sort of autonomy to operate there and... Again, the story that we'll link, everyone should read. It has all the detail. Another piece of evidence sort of pointing towards sabotage. This, the Swedes did like an official investigation after the pipeline was destroyed. And their report, which I'll link to a story about it in the show notes, the Swedish prosecution authority in a statement said, quote, analysis that has now been carried out shows traces of explosives on several of the objects that were recovered and that the incident was a result of gross sabotage. And it's also worth noting that seismologists in Denmark and Sweden had previously said that they registered tremors in the immediate vicinity of the leaks and that the signals did not resemble earthquakes. 
So they looked like there was something man-made, right. like an explosive. And then, <laughs> so Norway. But wait. But wait, there's, there's more. more. <laughs> so Norway benefits from this whole thing, but the U.S. benefited majorly. U.S. LNG exports benefited a lot. From August, from an August 13 report um, from Market Insiders. Sorry, I'm quoting a lot of stuff tonight, but whatever. Uh, it's all linked in the show notes. So this is from Marcus Insider, quote, U.S. exports of natural gas across the Atlantic have surged in 2022 as companies pounce on the huge earnings on offer while European governments facing a Russian supply squeeze desperately try to fill their storage tanks before winter. You're not talking about a margin. You're talking about a multiplier. Lawrence Segalin, an energy investment banker who hosts the Red Fining Energy podcast, said about the so-called arbitrage trade. All in all, it's insane, he told Insider. So Segalin said companies with gas to sell in the U.S. can fill large ships, send it across the Atlantic for around $60 million, with the cargo then fetching around $275 million in Europe. So they're netting about $200 million in profit. That's um, that's some good overhead. That's, that's, that's some good profit margins. It's great. Friendly reminder that Amazon's operating off of about a three percent profit margin. Oh, is that right? Oh shit. Yeah. So. So that's big. Yeah, that's you know, and obviously it's a the market of scale, but no, that's that's incredible. That's, yeah. So people are making a lot of money. That pencils out very well. Totally. I'm in the <laughs> wrong business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. And then this is like the main talking point everyone's been sharing, but like Europe sort of lucked out with a milder than expected winter. And so it hasn't been as cold. People haven't needed as much heat as some folks anticipated. And so what's the saying? It's better to be lucky than good. Something like that. <laughs> it sounds about right. And so at least temporarily, this is sort of like relieved any concerns about massive energy shortfalls. And actually Apparently, benchmark wholesale gas prices fell almost 5% this last Friday to 49 pounds uh, or $52 per megawatt hour, which is their lowest level since twenty since September 2021, which I guess like we've helped fill in the gap of Russian right. energy. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a capitalist. Right on. Good. We saw our company saw a need and they filled it. Good for them. Glad they made a Which lot of money. Which is good. And honestly, like, especially if prices did decrease, like, it is helping people. So Yeah, sure. It's good. Yeah. It's good. How much that filtered into the motive of destroying the infrastructure of a nuclear-armed enemy? I don't know. But it might have been a factor. And I think, okay, so, again, Hirsch is alleging that the American select group of Navy expert divers partnered with select members of the Norwegian military to conduct this operation. And his story goes into the detail about it. For some reason, I thought like you were going to have something about that. I probably should have asked for you to have detail about that because I don't fully understand like the mechanics of it all. But like basically they set off. They use that millet, that standard military exercises cover for the divers to attach the detonators to the pipes and then they figured out a way to remotely control them. So then like days later they could detonate them. Yeah. Only in this case, it's like months later or months. Yeah. Sorry. Which is I mean wild. to say months. Yeah. Right. And, right. And so this is yeah, interesting yeah. too. And I wish, I wish I would have looked into it a little bit more just because I don't know like how deep 
the pipeline is, mm. what kind of operation that was, you know, was there, I mean, I'm guessing that it was too deep for diving and it had to be done via submarine, but I don't know. They made it sound like it was just divers. Maybe that's a hole in his story, though. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Again, it just depends how deep it is. And I mean, there are limitations yeah. to how deep you can go without a vessel. But I don't think it would be difficult by any means to have a submarine or a or a a diving crew ready to go that literally, as a ship's going by, dives, does their thing. Well, we've done crazier things. So, <laughs> well, I think it's all like technical, technologically possible. Oh yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And I don't, you know, I can't explain how the remote technology works, but allegedly in this story by Hirsch and according to his anonymous source, the way it worked was they planted the detonators months later, a plane dropped a buoy because they had to be careful about like the seismic. Well, they had to be careful about the, about what would trigger the sensors of the detonators. Mm Mm-hmm. It was like a very subtle thing, apparently. Ah, gotcha. So there wasn't like a preemptive accidental detonation. Right. Yeah. Right. And to allow for the time span, because apparently Biden, according to this story, and like there could be details in the story that are not accurate, of course. I think, again, going back to the motive and who has motive and who benefits, it points to us doing this, not Russia. Um. But according to Hirsch, Biden sort of got cold feet and was like, we need or people in the Biden administration got cold feet and said, like, we need to create there needs to be more time between the end of this, like standard exercise when we plant the detonators before they go off, because if it's too soon, it's going to look like we did it. And so they had to come up with a way to to remotely control them with such a huge lag, which meant that they had to be careful of like other things triggering them. Mm -hmm. Right. And I guess they settled on. Some sort of buoy being dropped from a plane. And somehow that set it off. Again, I don't. I, I don't know enough about. Any of that to to articulate how that would have worked. But I, I'm literally guys. What I'm about to say has no ground in reality. OK, <laughs> but here's what I would assume. That it needs some sort of physical signal. And because it's underwater, I don't know necessarily how signals work underwater, but I'd imagine that it's difficult to like do a remote detonation from, say, a command center in Europe or a command center even in the U.S. And the buoy was the basically detonation machine. So the buoy goes into the water. It's close, relatively speaking, to where the explosives are planted. And then that distance between the buoy and and the detonation of the explosives is close enough where those where that that detonation signal, signal can, happen. can actually happen. That's a good question. Instead good point. of being like, no, Biden didn't get on his phone in Washington D.C. and be like, you know, boop. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, there. I'm sure there's some serious limitations on. I mean, I know there's serious limitations on signal distances and things like that. Um, especially I don't, you know, for months. Underwater. But anyway, yeah, that that something like that would make sense. Yeah. Right. So all the detail aside, the idea that we blew up infrastructure 
that NATO allies relied on and that's owned and operated. Well, it's owned and operated in part by NATO allies. Like yeah. I explained, like, you know, Germany and France had vested interests in these pipelines and were selling excess gas to the rest of Europe. So like they're making money on these pipelines. Like there were business deals where they were like partially responsible for these pipelines. Mm-hmm. So it's an, it's an attack on NATO allies and it's an attack on a nuclear armed Russia. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite literally just a terrorist attack. It is. It's an act of terrorism. It is. It is indeed. Yeah. And the source that Hirsch uses in his piece, he pointed out, he called it an act of war. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't even critical of the U.S. He was just pointing out that it is, in fact, an act of war. <laughs> and well, like, yeah, exactly. Hopefully no one finds out. No. And, and this goes back to the earlier talking about, like, you know, Ukraine potentially doing chemical weapons and everything like that. Like, right. I understand the motive, I guess, from Ukrainians to do something so awful. But like at the end of the day, like, okay, that's a it's a war crime. Right. Right. Yeah. So this is where I can tie this back into our UFO comments earlier. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Full circle. <laughs> but um, I've started to think over the last few days, like, were the unidentified objects just meant to be? Like a calculated distraction from this story, because this story dropped. Some people responded to it, mostly trying to discredit Seymour Hirsch, which is laughable. And then and then they mostly ignored it. And then the news media turned immediately to, you know, four successive accounts of these unexplained geometric objects that are the size of cars, maybe. And right. in a press conference, they're asked about whether it's extraterrestrial life. And the Pentagon says, we're not ruling anything out in a very dramatic way. Like, and then, it's so stupid. It's ridiculous. And then Twitter it's, blows up yeah, right. with thoughts about it being aliens. As soon as that happened, I was like, oh, I'm not scared anymore. Yeah, don't <laughs> fall for it. Like, this is bullshit. It's meant to distract us. The U.S. federal government thinks that you are an idiot. Yeah, they do. They literally think that you are an idiot. (laughs) Don't fall for it. Totally. And I think it's one of those things where, again, it's lucky. You're better to be. It's better to be lucky than good. That yes, there was a Chinese spy balloon. Yes, there was across U.S. Just confirmed. There's one in, in in Latin America. Right. As well. For all of the the idiocy that the U.S. government does. One thing that they do well is is cover stuff up and 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 they pump do. out propaganda. They're very good at that. They got that down. Yeah. And I think it's a convenient thing. Yeah. And with like uh information about unidentified objects over Alaska, as I did a little digging online, and again, these are random people online, so take that with a grain of salt. However, a ton of people on like Twitter and Reddit and well, just Twitter and Reddit is where I've I've looked. But they're like, look, I'm from Alaska. There are unidentified things above Alaska all the time. Yeah, because there's a fucking military base. Yeah, exactly. So, like, and, and an incredibly strategically sure. important one. So I'm sure there's all kinds of shit being right. practiced and, and so, experimental. And, and the point being, these people are like, look, yeah. this happens all the time, but it's never been like publicized. Mm-hmm. And people are like, why is it all of a sudden being like a big deal? They're like, this happens all the time. Right. And I guarantee that there's random stuff in our airspace all the time. 
And yeah. and they, you know, just recently, you know, now they're saying that they think that they shot down like a. I'm going to get to that. Balloon, right? Yeah. Right, okay. Right, you're right. going to get to that. And it's yeah. just like. Well, and that's where, you know, them. Arguing that. These objects were. Wow, I completely lost my train of thought. That's okay. I'll circle back to it. Yeah. Like Jen Paskey. I'll circle back. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> anyways. Oh, yeah, but, man. Rest in peace. She didn't die, but. <laughs> she's dead. No, I think she got like a deal with CNN or something or MSNBC. I forget. Anyway. Um, yeah. If it became widely accepted as reality that. We sabotage the Nord Stream pipelines. That completely complicates our relationship with NATO. Oh, yeah. Like, and potentially undermines our relationship with NATO allies. That's a massive strategic problem. So we don't want that to happen, of course. Look, here's something. And it, and sorry, and it's quite literally an act of war against Russia. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. And, and the. Of course, we're going to try to keep it a secret. Absolutely. And the reality is, like you said, it was a mild winter. This other pipeline came on on the Norwegians. The Norwegians pipeline came yeah. online, right? Yeah. But that means that the U.S. was willing to potentially just let yeah people freeze to death over the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we knew our companies would step up and make a lot of money. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> someone's someone's lining their pockets, and it's someone's not doing us. well. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's and that's that's the thing. It's, it's, I feel like wild. just like I'm falling into the trap of just like random talking points, but it's like you just always follow the money. Oh, totally! You should always just follow the money. Like with people, everything. people will what are lie, people motivated cheat, by? steal, murder, genocide for money. Yeah, they will. Yeah. Or turn a blind eye, like the U.S. and China, and right, and obviously U.S. sabotage of gas pipelines. Like, yep, you know, you got to crack a few eggs to make a quiche, right? <laughs> delicious quiche, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, and the delicious quiche is quiche is like American imperialism, of <laughs> like, like <laughs> the imperialist quiche. Yeah, exactly. If I ever have a restaurant, I'll have an imperialist. Quiche. Should we start like an anarchist? cookbook should we make an like an actual anarchist cookbook we should actually an anarchist cocktail book yeah yeah that would be appropriate i love it all right now you're like flipping through it's like a negroni and maybe there's food a nice quiche and then you get to a page and it's like an actual recipe for a molotov cocktail right yes this is how you make just, a bomb just un- <laughs> and then next page Brick fired pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, you know. Uh, for anyone wondering, for our times, for 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 <laughs> any certain people listening, feds. I'm an idiot, and I don't know how to do any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know how to make a bomb. I can make bread. I can't even make bread. I've never even tried. I can make cocktails. I can make quiche. Quiche. <laughs> Chicken parm. Mm-hmm. I make great meatballs. People love my meatballs. Oh. No, I make like the best meatballs. I'm very good at that. Chicken paprikash. Chicken paprikash. Chicken tarragon. Chicken paprikash is like a Hungarian dish. Chicken paprika and dumplings. Yeah. What? 
Yeah, it's you, delicious. You make this? Yeah, I'm a fucking Hungarian. That's like my mom's family recipe. I didn't know that. I'm Hungarian. You didn't know that? No. I'm a quarter Hungarian. Mostly Irish. Quarter's pretty good. Yeah. Nice. But, yeah, no. I'll make chicken paprikash. Maybe that should be the family meal when all the roommates return. Yeah. <laughs> the maybe we'll, maybe, roommates. We'll, maybe <laughs> we should do like a cultural potluck. We should, actually. And like, you know, I'll make some Italian. <gasps> That'd be you great. Make some Hungarian. Yeah. Totally. I, I don't, I'm not really interested in Irish food. I'm sorry. I don't. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like? Potatoes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then. Um, <laughs> fucking, <laughs> fucking bastards. Some water th- that was boiled with rocks. Some, right. yeah, some rock soup. Like dirty water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, <laughs> One time I was at a bar. This People, is funny. This is, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. One time I was at a bar with Alicia, our super fan. And this fucking guy, like Trump was running for president and he was flirting with us and he was asking what we had done that night. And we had just come from this lecture at San Jose State. We were still econ majors at San Jose State. We were like graduating that year something. I don't know. Anyway, we were there and he uh, as soon as he could tell that we weren't like progressive Democrats, he assumed we were Trump supporters and he nice. like his flirtation turned to like rage and oh, he started right, like yeah. accusing us of being fascist or something. And I was like, whoa, where did this come from? And long story short, I eventually was like, <laughs> I said this to him. I said, you know, I wouldn't expect anything less from an Irishman. You've always been on the wrong side of history. Oh my God. <laughs> He fucking lost his shit. He got very mad at me. It was funny. And then the bartender literally, and I was like, he was like, you really think that? And he stood up <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and we're fucking leaving. And then the, and I swear to God, the bartender was like, right on, like clapped for us. Oh my God. He was a jerk. Oh, well, yeah, clearly. Yeah. Anyway. And I got that line from my dad. Cause you know, God bless the Irish. I understand their struggle against England, but they fucking sided with the Nazis because they hated England so much. So, you know, they were on the wrong side of history. Yeah, totally. In my opinion. Anyway. And but, then, but then the, the later on, you have like, you know, the Irish. I get it. I you feel know, bad you, for the Irish. Yeah, no. But, then, you know, a little bit later on, you got like the, you know, you got the spicy side of the Irish fighting and car bombs and. Oh, yeah. They were fucking terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I know. I know. Uh, I know. Anyway. Sorry, Irish people. I'm Irish. Yeah, but, there you go. You know, I liked my. I dated an Irishman once, and I was. I made a comment honoring Margaret Thatcher when she died, and I understood that that was no. That was not an acceptable oh, position to hold. Right. No, they hated her. Yeah, a lot. Naturally, which I can probably half understand, but anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a complicated history. A different history than Ukraine and Russia. Now, okay, closing thoughts on this whole thing. This whole, okay, I really think that this UFO situation was absolutely a distraction, whether they were lying, making the whole thing up out of whole cloth, or just exploiting things that are regular occurrences and drawing attention to them to distract the public. I don't know, but I think it was convenient timing with the Chinese spy balloon, which was legitimate. Right, yes. Traversing the United States, which traversed the entire United States. And then these other <laughs> ones, for some reason, we shot out immediately out of the sky. 
and we close airspace for, you know, four, five hours at a time and then we reverse it and say, oh, we couldn't find the object. Sorry, Montana. We close your airspace for however many hours. If we were willing to provoke, because the implication was, I mean, there's like crazy people who are like, it's aliens, but most of us, normal people, myself included, thought like, holy shit, this is China. And China's like, are they itching for a war? Like, are we mm-hmm. going to war on Monday? Because like, why else would they just in sequestion, sequestion, in sequence, yeah. just like yeah. <laughs> launch these objects into our airspace? Like, well, why would they do that? Right. And so I thought they were provoking conf- a fight. Yeah, totally. One confirmed balloon. In the right. U.S., one confirmed balloon in Latin America. Why wouldn't you assume that during the same the time, the rest of them were right. balloons? Right. And and yeah, to your point, like they are doing this all over the world. And for. We are, too. I mean, we all are. I hope we fucking are. Yeah. Like, but yes, I thought all of And I think most people thought all of these other objects must have been Chinese. So. And if they weren't, which increasingly I'm thinking they're not because Biden came out and stumbled and mumbled before the press the (laughs) other day saying they were probably just hobby balloons. Oh, they're fucking hobby balloons at 60,000 feet, allegedly. And we spent $400 million a pop to blow them out of the sky. like And one miss. What the fuck are you talking about? Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, so if that's the case, we were willing to provoke China. This is one possible scenario. We are willing to provoke China, who's our biggest strategic enemy that we're going to war with in a couple of years. We are willing to provoke them and blame them for a news cycle for a couple of days to distract from the fact that we blew up critical infrastructure of a nuclear armed enemy, Russia. That is a gigantic mess. <laughs> Right. That is insane. And it's it's and it makes me wonder like is this just a like a like just a massive blunder of let's kick the can down the road and hope that by the time something happens like Biden's dead and Trump's dead and <laughs> fuck and yeah. Pelosi's dead and and what's the other old dude in Senate Schumer uh, Schumer's Chuck dead. Schumer. Yeah, yeah, Chuck's dead and told Chuck. <laughs> you know, and and not, you know, not to to be nasty or morbid but like you know they're the they're the one they, they're the most powerful people in the country right god isn't that fucked up it's how the fuck so, did that yeah. happen <laughs> like honestly two like little snakes that have just made money their entire careers and then like two morons mm-hmm. are the most powerful people in the country it's insane it's really insane it's really <laughs> makes you really wonder like what the fuck i think you could just pick a random person off the street and We'd be better off. They'd be better off. Totally. Pick any random plumber anywhere. Yeah. He'd be like, you know, I don't know a lot about foreign, (laughs) you know, intervention, but I know how plumbing works. (laughs) So let's spend a very modest amount of money and and take care of Flint. Right. (laughs) Everybody'd be like, like, right on. Yeah. He drops something, you know, full crack on TV, butt hanging out. We'd love it. I love blue collar people, so. (laughs) We are blue collar people. Yeah. Literally, I'm a dirty carpenter. Yeah. Come on. I know. Torno was convincing me I should get into the plumbing business. Totally. I'm thinking about it. You should. If shit ever hits the fan. 
there's there's a crew of drywallers uh in bozeman hmm. and i don't know what they're called they're like but they're kind of like semi-famous online huh and it's like a whole crew of female drywallers oh, i don't want to be a part of that no 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 but i'm just saying like <laughs> and i'm pretty sure they do good work oh yeah sure and maybe. And, and they're like hip and cool right and it's like yeah, yeah. but i okay <laughs> I am like so I am so not for like this is gonna sound okay, I gotta be careful what I say here. I was about to say I was about to say I am so like not for diversity. <laughs> That's not what I mean, but like diversity for the sake of the diversity. That sound bite is gonna yeah, get I know, reverberated. Right? Diversity for the sake of diversity is like the dumbest thing yeah, ever. Of course. But go off merit. It would be nice to have more women in the trades. Just this is just a little bit of balance. Yeah, and like the thing is, is like you know, it just it would be interesting. And I know plenty of great. You know, there's there's very few, and they're great, and it's just like it just seems like it's kind of untouchable. But like, it's a great career, and if you're oriented that way, like come join us. Like you'll make a ton of money. Yeah, it's fulfilling. Totally. There's just like so few women in the trades. I just think women in the trades need to be treated equally. Instead of and, and there's this whole skew, like, right? Like special anomalies that are like hot, and so everyone just like oh, favors right. them totally because that's like definitely a thing that I agree. I don't want to name anybody or any organization because I don't want to get them in trouble just in case someone happens to listen to this podcast, which would be awesome if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I know of specifically like a woman who's in like an arborist trade and I think she can kind of get away with murder because she's like, you know, an anomaly. And so all the guys are kind of like, Oh, like goo goo gaga over her. And she can kind of just be like half assed and like choose like the fun projects and like not do the grunt work. And Oh gosh, nobody like reprimands her and like that sucks. Oh, if you suck. So if that's the trend, like let's avoid that. Anyone listening that's like Instagram celebrity influencer trade women sounds hellish personally. Talk about living your life, life on easy mode. (laughs) But anyway, um, I'm going to get canceled for that one. But, Anyway, if you're a woman that are interested in the trades, yeah, sorry. I please <laughs> please join. Yeah. If you are capable, I will hire you. But don't expect to be treated differently. Oh god, no. If you suck, you're off. Yeah, and it's not sexism if you suck. You just suck. Oh yeah, get good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> In my, in, in, uh, the- I feel bad for men today because it's like you either have to, if you treat them as equals and you're like, you're not allowed to hit a woman kind of thing, you know, <laughs> or, or it's like, right, if yeah. you show preferential treatment, it's like, you're a misogynist. So it's like, how do you, where's the middle ground? It's, it's like the, the whole, like, we want women to be Navy SEALs. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, bro, you want to be an equal bro? I don't want to be a Navy SEAL. It sounds I'm, awful. I'm 230 pounds right. of pure muscle and like <laughs> desire to murder. Right. If I get shot, you can't carry me out. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. So like, fuck you. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. We all need to be realistic. I don't want to be a Navy SEAL. I want to make quiche. 
that, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm cat. I am so toxic. I'm 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 so toxic. I'm such a toxic male that I'm like. It makes me sad to think that like women want to like be equals in war. And they want to be sent off to war. No, it's fucked up. And they, they want don't to, really. And they want to be murdered and tortured. No. And die in a ditch alone. Right. Like men do. Right. And I'm like, no, preserve them and protect them because they're wonderful. Because they're special. <laughs> yes. I know. I know. A but lot I'm, of us really like that. And there's a lot of them that are like conflicted by that because they're like, man, I fucking like that. But it feels sexist, but I want to like right. it. Yeah. Now, I will just say. My fiance, my future sister-in-law, is in the Navy, and she's badass. She's like oh, pint totally. size, and but she's fucking strong, and she's a little spitfire. And like, I think most people would probably want her by their side. But I don't know if she could drag a Navy SEAL out of a ravine. I I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. She's in the Navy, and I don't think she's dragging Navy SEALs out of anywhere. Right. But I'm not against women being in the military. No, no, me neither. By any means. Women should do whatever they want, but just have realistic expectations. Totally. And if you're going to be a shitty arborist, accept that you're a shitty arborist. Absolutely. Anyway. I don't know how we got on this. But... <laughs> I don't know either. I took us there, apparently. Anyway. Yeah. So the U.S. blew up uh, the Nord Stream pipeline. It's an act of war. Russia's going to totally retaliate at some point. And it's scary because I don't know how they're going to retaliate, but they will. They definitely will. Oh, they will. Yeah, and we push them towards China, and they have a special strategic partnership. So we're going to be fighting both of them, and there'll be Iran associated with that, and uh, North Korea, of course, which is kind of just like this goofy, ridiculous place. North but Korea's wild. Fully <laughs> it's like not real life. They're not real. No. They're fully subsidized by China, so they're kind of insignificant, but like it is like bodies, right? Right. And and Iran is a little bit more substantial. They have their own technology and stuff. And like they're using their drones in Russia yes, or in absolutely. Ukraine, I should say. A- exactly. So, yeah. So it's uh, it's going to be a messy fucking situation. Totally. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how like, this is a divergence, but how like when World War Three happens, how Latin America will play out. Because both oh, Russia. Yeah. All three, Russia, China, and Iran have spent a lot of time in the last like two and a half decades like investing in Latin America. And and we are going to get into this during the drug war conversation. Right. America was invested in Latin America. Yeah. And has since sort of retreated. Yeah, totally. However, I definitely, this is, this is a whole nother thing. I have no doubt that the America is involved in Brazil right now, one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's probably another thing that we'll have to dive into. Yeah. <laughs> but unless it's like convenient, we've kind of abandoned Latin America. <laughs> or we we pay lip service to like the leftist quasi dictators because the progressives in our country demand it. Right. Which we, like we've been Brazil. doing. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, like we're all now are all behind Lula da Silva, and it's like he was literally jailed for corruption and is like a bastard. But anyway, Guatemala is another place. But yeah, it'll be interesting how it all plays out. But we, it, it's if this is true, which again we strongly on the whiskey bench think that all the motives point that way. Like this is an act of war against Russia, and there will be repercussions for it. One way or another, for sure. 
Yeah. And I just don't, I don't want to support Russia, but I don't want to be dragged into a war with Russia unnecessarily over like strategic financial interests in Ukraine. I don't really give a fuck about the and billionaires that are making more money there. No. And that's, that's the whole thing. And it's, yeah. it, it's, it's the play stupid games, win stupid prizes thing. Right. And it's like, and this is the same thing we mentioned, I think last week about, you know, the solvency of, of social security. Like no one that's making the decisions is going to be affected by any of this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which is really terrifying. Yes. Honestly, it's like properly terrifying. If you haven't sold your soul, <laughs> you are fodder. <laughs> I, that's that's kind of my point of view right now. Not to be like totally black pilled and depressing, but <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I feel right now. The end is nigh. No, I don't know if the end is nigh, but you know, no. on, on the hopeful side of it, like, yeah, I am hopeful, like. We rag on the U.S. all the time. Yeah. Right? Because the U.S. sucks. But it's also great. Right. And we have great Last people. Best hope. And we do have a great country. We have a great country. We it's do. just the people who run us fucking suck. Yes. And I do have hope that even, like, in the most grim of, of times, like, I do have faith in, like, our military capabilities, even with the decline and, and our technology and, and everything like that. We're not going to have, like, countries invading the U.S. We're not going to be no. dealing with trench warfare. And we're not going to be dealing with the stuff that other countries are dealing with. Yeah, God frankly. bless. But Yes, honestly. EMP could totally happen. Right. We'd be fucked. Yeah, well, yeah. That's a whole other <laughs> I'm thing. really scared of that. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll send $200 billion to Ukraine, but we won't fix our... Uh, infrastructure. Infrastructure, but whatever. God damn it. Um. Anyway, it's, you know, Sorry. <laughs> it's not, I, I don't know. I'm hopeful. Yeah, you should be. At the end of the day. Good, good. And it's, it, honestly, like, we are so beyond blessed to be in this country. We are. I actually feel, like, guilty about it on a fairly regular basis. And then, like, well, my, yeah, no. like, sick, twisted brain, yeah, yeah. it, like, starts to think that, like, I'm going to be, like, punished for having been so lucky. That's don't believe that. I know. And then I'm I get right. like worried and I yeah. like now neurotically keep my Brita really full. <laughs> like <laughs> no, really, no, no, no. it's no. bizarre, but, but like, I do. Look, we are fortunate. <laughs> we live in a great place. There's yeah. so much abundance. Yeah, totally. You just need to be aware of that, right? Don't right. take it for granted. Right. Be thankful for that. Right. And just know that just the way that the U.S. is, the geopolitical layout of our country, like really shelters us from the shit that the rest of the world has endured. Right. Like, you know, the Uyghurs in China and Ukraine and Yemen and the poor Middle East and, you know, all of this. Yeah. And so we're sheltered from that, which is great. But also have high standards for the people that rule you. Yeah, we need better standards. We really need better standards. Jesus Christ. And I don't know how this happens, but it's basically everyone needs to be removed. From power? Yes. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I don't really know either. I don't um, know. But, you know, like we said, 
Yeah. Most of these are most of the most powerful people are at an age where they don't have a lot left as far as actually like being in. That's true. They will all die off eventually. Yes. And so I think who takes their place? Most of the younger people are fucking nuts. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) But like it's the fourth estate in my mind. And maybe I'm myopic about this, but like it's the fourth estate. It's media. Independent journalism will save us. Like, well, and honestly, it will. And and to to we, get a little bit back on track, like with the Hirsch article and things like that. Yeah. What an awesome time we live in. Yeah. Where totally. someone as as influential and credible and powerful as Hirsch can say, "Screw you." Yeah. Wall Street Journal. Screw you, New York Times. Screw you, Time. I don't have a contract with you to to look into this story. I'm going to release it. And even if it's for free on his Substack, those right. those media conglomerations and those filthy swamp organizations yeah. have no power over that. Right, they don't. They, they have can't no power. They can't dictate what he says. Right. They can't control his language. Yeah. And they get no gain from it. Right. And they ultimately can't ignore it. They no. can ignore it for a period of time, but they can't forever. Totally. Yeah. And that's where... Little podcasts like us yep. and Substacks and Twitter feeds and yeah. whatever it is, like everyone has to push back. Right. And we were just mentioning these people earlier, uh, Atlas News. Yep. And Tesseron and Real News No Bullshit. Like Yeah. Which is like they're amazing. Yeah, they just sent two people to Ohio to like just interview people and Yeah, get the actual story. Yeah. And it's like yeah. these small organizations will will keep things going. And they've been discredited, and I would imagine that the the propaganda discrediting them will be ratcheted up in I'm sure. the months and years ahead. But, like, we should all support independent journalism. Honestly, Absolutely. whether it lands at whatever popular conclusion you like or don't like, like, I don't care. Like, if they are free-thinking individuals, we should support them. Yep. Because they're fighting against the regime, and our, honestly, our biggest enemy is the regime. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So we covered a lot of ground. We did. Yeah. This was fun, though. You know, we're rambling a little bit at the end, but it's all right. Don't get too worked up, guys. Be grateful. Yeah. Keep up with the Jones the best you can. Mm -hmm. Don't trust. Well, first of all, just I don't know how anyone can look at the United States government or corporate media and think they have any sort of track record that would allow them to take anything at face value. I would hope not. I would hope. I think we're reaching a turning point where most people don't. Yeah. Right. So that's good. Yeah. Just, yeah. Don't fall for it. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Our Instagram followers are like more red pilled. Yeah. And our Twitter followers are like hard blue pilled. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so we've got to work on that. Right. Follow us on Twitter. Yeah, if you're <laughs> Change like the dynamic. If you're like a red pill, and yeah. like I'm more and more thinking like red pill, like it's not enough to be red pilled. Right, right, right. Like I'm like borderline like black pilled mm. with a combination with optimism, which is the white pill. Right. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I'm a gray pill. 
Gray pilled. Because like red pill's not enough, and like there's Silver some pilled. there's some like gross <laughs> there's some like cultural issues with being red pilled. Okay, tied okay. in with that. All right. So come to the whiskey bench and get gray pilled. Gray pilled. I like it. Be realist. Yeah, things are so much worse than you think they are. <laughs> But also, simultaneously, it's like a paradox, so much better than maybe you think they are. Right. So. Right. That's what we offer. Yes. Despair and hope. Yes. It's an emotional <laughs> roller coaster. Two punch. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throat punch. <laughs> Throat punch. Yeah. Hope, despair, hope, despair. <laughs> uh, yep. You know, we're doing our part. We're trying. So, <laughs> join us online. Next week's going to be a news and bruise. Yeah. Then maybe we'll dive back into the drug war. Yeah. Or something else will come up. Sorry, guys. This is our show and we do what we want. So. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You just get to hang along. This is a ride along. You're in the back seat. There's a cage between Kat and I and you. And uh, (laughs) Hopefully you enjoy it, though. I hope so. Yeah. Tell your friends. Leave us a review. Yes. That'd be great. That would help. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Engage with us. Engage. Follow. Honestly, you want to push back? You want to fight? Yeah. DM us. Tweet at us. Do share. it publicly. Tweet at us. Yeah, share our content. Yeah, we'd be into it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is this has been a wild ride, but Sorry. it was fun. Um, until next time, guys. Take it easy. Be helpful. Trust but verify. <laughs> I don't even know. This is what happens when you have one piece of, piece of quiche and a couple cocktails I in a know. night. So, anyway, God damn it. y'all have a great night. We love you. Okay. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers.